Welcome to Inflection Points, where in each episode, we talk about the pivotal moments in the careers of tech leaders that help them navigate a new path to growth. My name is Joe Hyme, and this week we speak with Bruno Gicardi, president and co-founder at CINT, the global digital transformation specialist who are now listed on the New York Stock Exchange. You'll love this one because we discuss how Jim Collins stopped them selling the business for half a million dollars, embedding and empowering lean methodology, how you structure an organization of 7,000 people for growth, and what the party is like when you list your business. From SI Partners, this is Inflection Points. My guest today is Bruno Gicardi, president and co-founder at CINT. CINT partner with the world's most valuable brands to bring digital solutions that transform their businesses. Their client list reads like a who's who of global brands, AB InBev, Johnson & Johnson, BlackRock, Google. Starting with just three founders in Brazil, they are now a public company with over 7,000 digital strategists, designers, and engineers in the USA, UK, Brazil, Australia, Japan, and China. Bruno, welcome to Inflection Points. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Joe. Always a yeah. pleasure to meet you, man. Yeah, yeah, always, always. So you started the business over 25 years ago. Most people are accessing the digital world through an internet cafe. Take us back to 1995. How did CINT come into being? Oh man, that was, was the beginning of the internet, the commercial internet. So uh, we were just three kids out of college and uh, we had access to the internet in college because it was available for uh, education institutions. And uh, we could see that, uh, you know, that that would be important. I think no one at that time uh, predicted how important and how impactful in the, in the world that that would be. But uh, we just wanted to be part of it. You know, it's, it's night was just kind of a, was a pioneer of the Internet. And uh, we had like a one one client that, that uh, kind of a, was looking for a project and we just got together. And we started with a, with a client because we have no money. So uh, there was a, <laughs> so we started being financed already by this first client. And, uh, and then we kind of uh, was, very, was very early, right? So we started, we had an internet service provider to actually help people connect <laughs> to the internet on the side. It was a horrible business. Uh, <laughs> we sold it for a penny for an AOL of the life and then when they showed up. <laughs> and we continued to actually helping business, right? To understand what the, what the web was and uh, what, what potential for business that could bring them, right? So uh, that we stick with that and uh, the company, you know, grew a lot in the beginning and still grows uh, a lot this year. And that, that, that was the very, very beginning of it. But it was a, was a, was a brave new world back then. Yeah. Uh, it was no, no funding, no nothing, like, mainly in Brazil, like uh, back in Brazil, there was no VCs, no private equity. There's no nothing to kind of a, was totally bootstrapped. Well, no, no, absolutely. Particularly back in, back in the nineties. And, yes. and, and at what point did you realize it was going to be a business, right? From having one client ask you, oh, can you help me out with this? And, you know, what point did the three of you go, there's something here, let, let, let's make it to a business? Yeah, you know, like this, the, we're very fortunate that this one client, right, so was already an international client. So we were doing this work uh, with uh, teams in the US and France, mm. right? And, uh, and it was like a, a big low boost of uh, confidence for us, like, hey, can't do this in, a, in an international uh, arena like uh, 
Yeah, we don't suck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even on like a, you know, the remote corner of the world that was Brazil in 1995, like, eh, I think we can do this. You know, like we can go shoulder to shoulder those guys, you know, yeah. like, and, uh, and it was a big boost of uh, confidence for us. Like, hey, it's nothing, there's nothing, you know, if we could really put ourselves into it and, and, and make the effort, there's no one ahead of us, you know, like that we can be, we can be, can be leading this. And, and it was, you know, the confidence, I always uh, try to uh, advise and be coached to new entrepreneurs. And, and, mm. and one of the, the big questions that they have is like, how, how much do you, be, should we believe in the fake it till we make it type of thing, right? So, yeah, yeah, okay. It, it, and, uh, and, and I always tell them, that, you know, it's, it's the, the fake part cannot be, you cannot, cannot think of that like a, think you're going to be big and, and, and fake that. Then it's just bravado, right? Like the mm. fake, the fake is just like a, you know, it has to come from a place of a knowing, right? You know you can do it. It's not like a, you think you think you you can do it. You know it. Like yeah. a, for us, like a, having that client was very important because we had that experience. We knew that we hey we can compete with those guys. We can we can do those things. And and then of course you have to learn a lot of new other yeah. stuff. But uh, in, a, in it's always adjacent, right? It's like a you know this. And you kind of move yeah. a little bit. You, you fake yeah. it, but it's not like a, you're not selling the, the sky. You're right? not pretending. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know it. You know you can do it and you kind of move here and then you move mm-hmm. here and you keep, keep expanding. So so was was really important uh, for us to kind of have that experience and, and kind of a, they think we can we can make it. Yeah. And then and then and, and then ambitions, you know, grow and uh, we kind of uh, set ourselves like uh, I think very early we read like made to last uh, from Jim Collins and uh, yeah. we established ourselves a BHAG, right? A big, hairy, audacious goal, which helped a lot because uh, uh, there was a buyer that tried to buy us when we were very, very, you know, for, for half million dollars. Mm. Wow. <laughs> we're, we're small, we're like 30, 50 people. Mm. And uh, of course we didn't, we didn't sell because kind of, no, we want to be, you know, this, this international player when uh, well, already the BHAG was already there and, uh, and it helped, it helped. And what, what was the BHAG? What was your first, your first big goal? The BHAG was to was the first big goal was like, hey, we want to be a player, uh, a, a, main, a significant player uh, in an international arena. And we thought that that would be uh, to, to achieve 100, $100 million in revenue. That would be a, a kind of a, you know, would, would mean that, right? You know, we, we reached that like <laughs> many, many years ago. <laughs> so uh, we had to put a new BHAG because that was already achieved. I mean, uh, well, that's fantastic. Many people don't get there. So, um, you know, the fact that you've had to do several big, hairy goals. But as you said, the business did take off and pretty soon you were, you know, one of the, the, the biggest digital consultancies. You're about 150 people in Brazil. Um, but you knew you needed to continue that growth. And as you said, with your your big goals, you know, you had to do something different to, to allow you that. And then you made the decision to go beyond Brazil and become truly global. You know, can you set the scene? Like, where was the business at the time? And what was the build-up to making that decision? Yeah, this was 2005, right? So internet um, was yeah, 10 years in. We already like yeah, selling probably 150, 200 people. Uh, was doing really well, but we kind of already uh, looking at that market. The internet was already you know a, a reality, and in the delivery of services uh, in a digital uh, format was a reality already. Right? So we thought. 
this is a big opportunity, also a big risk. Like, uh, you know, uh, there's no there's no frontiers, there's no barriers for for the delivery of digital services. So uh, either we go and, and, you know, and play in the big leagues and win and, yeah. and, and show that we are we're competitive enough to compete in a global scenario. Or maybe we won't even be protected here in a in a market like Brazil. So, uh, so that was the thinking. Like it, it's a big opportunity, and and in the long run, it would be a big risk to just stay here confined to one uh, market. So, so the decision was made. Like we we will go and and go to the the most competitive market of all of them all, which is the U.S. and, and establish shop there. And and what is it easy to decide the market that you're going to? It was because the rationale was like about competitiveness, right? It yeah. was not about, you know, growth or, well, probably there were probably like 50 other markets that would be easier than the US. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the rationale was like, we need to be the most competitive market because we need to be on our toes, you know, yeah. on par with the what what's happening and what's the, you know, the most modern approaches and, and the edgiest uh, possible. Uh, markets and that that was the US and, uh, and well it just happens to be the most competitive market as well so but, but that so it's actually going for something which was the uh the hardest right um yes. the biggest challenge rather than the biggest which happened to be the biggest opportunity as well yes um how did you choose which market to go to so because the rationale was about competitiveness was you know was about us to be on our toes to be you know on the on the uh, uh exposed and competing in, in the most uh, edgy uh, market possible, uh, then the, the 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 choice was uh, kind of obvious because you know the U.S. was back then and still to this day is the the, the leading market in terms of trends and where things happen first. Uh, so that was the the rationale. Was the toughest in terms of business? Probably be another fifty markets that will be easier <laughs> to enter. Yeah. Uh, but but here was the that was the rationale. So, so as well as being the the the, the biggest challenge, uh, sorry, as well as being the biggest market for you, it was also the biggest challenge. It made sure that your company had to be at the forefront, right? You had to be the best to be able to win in that market. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of of thinking about it. I don't think as many people consider that other other element. Brilliant. And and how did you go about doing it, right? How, how do you make that first step into the US? And you know, it's a big commitment, both perhaps personally, but also uh, financially. Um, what, what kind of, what was the buildup and the decision-making coming into that? Yeah, we, we knew that uh, there was a lot of things that we need to do. Uh, we would take time to, to develop the brand in the US and we need to investment. So for the first time, we actually went and, and got uh, a private equity to invest in the company and raise money to do that. And uh, to kind of invest in, you know, the, in, in the infrastructure and the sales and, Preparing ourselves like to 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 do that movement, uh, that was complete, that, that that's a, a story uh, on on its own. Like it's, it was very very hard. This was two thousand five, right? Uh, so it was no back then. Uh, IT services were not as uh, sexy and yeah. uh, and, and fancy yeah, yeah. as it is today. Like no one, no no private equity, no one would would like investing in uh, in, in services. It was all about it's all about technology at that point in time. Yeah, and, in a and we're in Brazil, like so. There was no uh, VCs, or you know, there was it was very uh, it was very uh, uh, you know rarefied rarefied air back then in terms of uh, where to get investment. What, what was one story that was, was really interesting? We went to a to one of those kind of a investment uh, 
divisions of a big uh, Swiss bank. Yeah. And uh, and we kind of went, we went through that, and the guy loved it. And then last page, you know, the money we were asking, and he looked at it. Oh man, just five million dollars. Oh no, we invest only, you know, twenty, you know, or minimum minimum should be bigger checks. I'm sorry. Don't you guys have like a, you know, a, a rich uncle or auntie that you can ask me? <laughs> yeah. And we, when we get out of there, like, man, what type of uncle or auntie those people have? Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So $5 million? Can I come but, join your family? But, yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, there was absolutely uh, almost nothing. But we were happy, you know, to, to finally find one uh, private equity that, uh, that uh, invested it. And, and that was the, the preparation to actually... Uh, do that, uh, uh, you know, endeavor in the US and, and pay them out. That's a really interesting. I mean, look, when you go for money, what was what was it you were looking for, right? What was your criteria for choosing who you went with and, and what did you want the money for? Yeah, for, for this case, we wanted money to, to, to do this endeavor in the US, right? So open a market in the US. Uh, unfortunately, back then, there wasn't a lot of people willing to invest in services. So, yeah. uh, we just were looking for someone that would kind of a, wasn't a minority investment, someone that was comfortable doing that, and that someone that was not trying to control the company, right? Yeah, so yeah. that would be comfortable being a minority position and still let us lead the company and do what needs what needed to be done, right? So someone kind of a more hands off, uh, mm. and that will still help. And with uh, this private equity, helped a ton with uh, our governance and you know the compliance kind of brought like a really mm. a more disciplined approach, uh, you know, to finances and accounting and all this, th- all those things. But business-wise, we're like, a, we're, uh, we're calling the shots here and uh, that, that well, it, it worked really well. And did they bring more than just, just the sort of money and the advice around the financials? Did, did they help you access the U.S.? No, they didn't. Okay. Uh, that was everything that, that was on us to, to do it. It was hard, very hard as expected, but uh, it paid off. The U.S. is our biggest market now. Fantastic, it's fastest growing. So it's uh, it's it's an amazing market. Still tough. Yeah, I always remember uh, uh, Frank Sinatra. I, I live here in New York today, right? So and if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. It's a tough spot. <laughs> You've done well. You've done very well there. And, and you know, as I said, it was a roaring success in the U.S. As you said, it's now your biggest market. Um, and, and as you began to scale, you, you really scaled, like you were growing 30% year on year on year um, for many years, which is a phenomenal achievement. But something started to happen that started to risk that growth. Uh, but this time it was, it was mainly around your systems and your processes. You know, how had CINT been evolving at the time and what made you realize that, you know, something needed to change within the organization? Yeah, it was a little, a little after we came to the US around... 2008, 2007. Yeah. We, uh, we, uh, we, we were kind of really big. We kind of really embraced the agile movement. And that led us to a very weird place where we're kind of a, because we were back then, then we're 2007, 2008, we're like uh, already 10, 12, bi- 12 years in business. We already have like a management culture, a management style. That was quite frankly back then in com- not, not, not compatible with the agile, the way of working, right? So we had uh, a big, you know, uh, conflict there because uh, we were, uh, you know, command and control and, 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 you know, the, 
kind of a, the way we managed the, the, the business was very 20th century right style. And we realized that uh, that new movement, it was all about empowering teams and, 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 and kind of a develop teams in a different way. And uh, thank God we kind of found uh, the lean uh, discipline. Uh, actually, it was point, pointed, pointed us to us by a client that when we started talking about Agile, I said, well, this looks like lean. And actually, Lean was the initial inspiration for Agile, which is funny. But uh, we got to the, the door of Agile and found out Lean later. And but that saved the company, like uh, the, the 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 embracing the Lean culture of uh, you know developing people and being different leaders. Uh, that was instrumental for uh, giving the ability to scale the company to the way we scale it later with consistency, right? With a system that I know, like uh, with a way to lead that it was consistent uh, and kind of provide that consistency in the services. Uh, and it, it to, until this day keeps that consistent, that quality in place, even when we grow, you know, 2,000 people, 3,000 people a year, uh, the, our leaders are, are mostly, uh, you know, uh, grown in the company. We rarely will go up, grow, go out and uh, hire uh, managers and, and leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, we prefer to uh, to develop them ourselves because then we are, you know, we we, we are sure that they are making decisions in the way, you know, aligned with the culture, aligned with, uh, you know, how we uh, how we will do it ourselves. And that what kind of keeps that consistency in terms of uh, culture and, and delivery. When we're growing, you know, thirty percent a year. Wow, it's quite a bit to unpack there. So you you were growing the business, right? And you're you're going quite rapidly, and the so you were kind of putting in management layers at the time, were you? And sort of saying, yes. right, okay, because of this size, we need to keep keep building out the pyramid, keep creating more, almost kind of control. It's quite a twentieth century discipline of of you know management structures that were put in place. Yeah, but that but that was it started to take the oxygen out of the business. I kind of, how did you realize that this was a problem? Just talking to the teams, uh, you know, like uh, there was a funny story, like we're we're not not happy hour one day and uh, one of the kind of a a really brilliant guy, a developer in uh, my my partners, Cesar was just talking to this guy and, uh, and he says, hey, how we can, you know, improve things for you guys for this team. And uh, this guy goes, oh, I just just remove my manager. It's not helping. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know how he adds value to this. It's just it's just they're trying to control things that are micromanaging. I know. And uh, and 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 then I was like, oh my god, this is this is like a wake up call here. <laughs> Something really wrong because what this guy is doing is actually he's trying to follow what we're telling him to do. So it's you know was not like this guy was uh, doing his job. Like weird. We're kind of, you know, setting him up to failure. So, like, hey, we have to start changing ourselves and our our methods here. Otherwise, those people will not thrive. They will not achieve what uh, what we're trying to put them to achieve. So, uh, uh, so, so that was the call. <laughs> so, so you got put onto agile, like you say, and then the, 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 this lean uh, as a philosophy, a management philosophy came to you. Can you can you talk a bit about lean and how does it work? Like, yeah, lean people remember lean. Uh, because of Toyota in the manufacturing and the, the some of the contributions that uh, that discipline uh, came with a redu- reduction of lead time mm. in uh, one piece flow and uh, Kanban and stuff like that. Mm. 
But for us, that that's yes. Like if you look at agile, those are agile is an interpretation of those things for the software world. Right? But for us, what what the, the we found in Lean was a, a discipline to manage, to man, mainly to lead people in a different way. I right? saw so, uh, instead of telling people what to do, it's always kind of a leading with questions and and let the team think by themselves. In this way, you empower the team yeah. to actually, you know. Uh, take responsibility uh, for the outcomes, feel that their contribution matter, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a discipline of, a, it's a different way to lead people, right? For us, that, that, that was what Lean was about for us, not, you know, reduction of lead. Of course, was, we were already doing this with uh, the Agile movement, okay, reducing lead time and, you know, in Kanban boards and stuff like that. But Lean for us, like how actually we lead people, we create an organization, that is uh, consistency. That has consistency in the in the, in the people uh, development across the board at scale. Right? So that that was uh, the beauty of Lean for us. So it's quite a different way of thinking. I mean, how how many people were in the organization at this time? Oh man, we're already kind of big. Probably 500, 600 people. That's that's a lot of people, right? How yeah. how did you go about trying to change? The culture, the management style of, of that many people within an organization. Uh, appreciate that you asked that question because the, the answer will be counterintuitive for people. People, it's the transformations. People say, "Yeah, let's transform those people." <laughs> <laughs> for us, like we as we realized the problem, the problem as was the the, co- the the management culture. We kind of we define a management culture, so we mm-hmm. have to transform ourselves first. Right? So mm-hmm. fortunately, there were some processes. Uh, that we, we let's change what we do as senior leaders in the company, right? So right. we do, what do we do? We do strategic planning mm-hmm. and strategy deployment. So let's change the way we go about those processes and the work we do. And this will trickle down. You know, we will start leading a different way. We'll start involving people. So the, the for example, the, the, the classic strategic planning type of process completely change, right? So instead of uh, being, you know, uh, us, uh, beings of light, being you know, an offsite somewhere, uh, deciding the future of the company. It became like a totally different process. You know, run around twelve weeks, involving a lot of people. Uh, you know, it, it became it, it involved way more people. So like people felt heard, and and you know, and their input in the process was way more visible, and so the decisions were way more uh, shared and and agreed. And aligned with way more people than just uh, the senior leadership, so it was a completely different process, a completely different experience. That people start to feel that things were changing, right? So, and we didn't mandate any anyone to change. Actually, we just start doing those things differently, and people start to follow. Okay, yeah, this is a good idea to do do things, and uh, people just start repeating what we were doing in the strategic planning for smaller scopes, right, for their own uh, 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 realms. And things start to change. It took it took like three years, three, four, five years maybe to actually kind of a really because we're growing, right? So it was not like us five hundred people. Like then, when three years later we're like uh, the the thousand, twelve hundred people, and then you know it's uh, it's but it took a good three to five years to actually you know to be a, a thing that was all over the company. Right? So it was established and institutionalized. And and is that is that kind of created now one of the sort of the pillars of CINT, if you like, and, and oh, yes. what it means to be part of CINT? 
Oh yes, that kind of a, that, that the way that the management culture, the leadership uh, culture is, a, is an intrinsic part of CIT now. Like it's 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 part of the DNA of the company. It's a big big time. The pe- people develop like how how to develop people. Like people are you know even measure like this. Like and how, how many you know if you're a leader, how many other leaders you develop, how many people you promoted. I, I mean, all like that's that's a, that's a KPI. Like it's it's you're not a good leader because you have good numbers. Like, how many people you develop? Like, because we're growing. That we only grow. Yes, we only grow if we have new leaders, right? New leaders to 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 run the business. And so one of the we look we look at the a leader has four stakeholders that they have to serve. Right? They have CIT itself and it, it's it's uh, shareholders, our clients, the team itself, which is measured by those people developing the measures. And society as a whole, which is kind of kind of classic uh, ESG uh, KPIs. So that's those are the four stakeholders that a that a leader uh, serve, and we we joke around and we, that every leader essentially has four masters, and you have and you have to balance those four masters. Uh, they they not necessarily super aligned. <laughs> sometimes you know, clients are, are you know asking kind of a sometimes impossible things that the team cannot do. You have to kind of a, you know. Kind of, uh, you know, find a way to uh, compromise and find, you know, good terms there, and and that's a responsibility of the leader, right? So to balance out those four, uh, for it's like uh, those guys in, in the circus, you know, like four plates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spinning all the plates. Spinning all the plates, and uh, sometimes one of those plates kind of uh, they slow down and they mm-hmm. sacrifice mm-hmm. a little bit, but uh, in the long run, all the plates have to be spinning, and and and, and all the stakeholders need to be happy. I think it's it's so interesting these ideas of that leaders need to keep evolving as they go through their journey. Even the founders of an organization need to keep evolving and keep learning. Yes, but also that mindset, that growth mindset applies internally. So it's not just about, as you said, your numbers, your sales, your 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 clients being happy. Actually. The idea that you develop the business and you develop as a person by developing other people and that being a responsibility and inherent in that is a growth mindset because the pyramid just keeps keeps growing and growing and growing. Yeah, we even have a, a motto internally. We say that there's a motto that we develop people before we develop software. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you develop people before you develop software. Yes. That's the mentality. <laughs> it makes absolute sense. Um, and then... How have you continued to to scale, right? Because you can't just keep adding people to to the pyramid. You know, like, kind of at CNTI, you use is it growth units? Is the, the kind of the kind of methodology? Yeah, like uh, five years ago, I guess already. Five years ago, we kind of were uh, organized like any uh, classic uh, services company. We have uh, no business unit, like usually oriented by its industry segment. And we have uh, practices, so we were a matrix organization, right? Uh, but that, in the world of digital, we're feeling that we organize almost like our clients that have a lot of silos, and, and the work has to go through all those silos. And uh, what that with that, what happens is you take too long to launch products, right? So digital products, uh, you have a, an idea, and then you take sometimes. Uh, it take like years to, to see to, to see that idea being launched and, and used by your clients, right? Even a digital product, right? So we're not talking physical product, even digital, but it'll take sometimes years. 
because there's just too many uh, silos involved, right? So, and we, we thought, you know, we need to organize ourselves in a way that we are not the blocker for that. Right? So if you look at, a, you know, any big uh, consulting company, they will have like, a, they will have a, a CX, a customer experience practice, and then a, and then they will have a cloud guy, and then they'll have an artificial intelligence guy. They all coming from different practices, right? And with different bosses and with different, you know, review process. And they're actually uh, hindering the, the flow in this uh, a speed, a speedy decision in terms of digital. And, and why, why, well, maybe I should start there. Why digital, why, why speed is, is important in this context, right? Because what we learn in almost 30 years in this business, of, uh, we learn a very hard truth that in the digital world, mainly if you're thinking about digital experiences, you know, an e-commerce experience, a new, you know, like a, a mobile app that will engage you for customers and clients, it, it's very difficult uh, to predict if that experience will, will be successful or not. Very difficult. You think that you have a great idea, you launched and well, wasn't a great idea, right? And taking years in a lot of money on an idea that's still not proved, it's a lot of risk, right? So speed is absolutely crucial, crucial to actually re reduce the lead time and launch very fast, right? And so when you launch, you actually, you know, uh, see if it's, it's creating that uh, value for our clients that you, you thought it would. And if you're not, you pivot, you still have time and, and resources to actually pivot and find another solution, right? So that's why speed is so important. And we thought like we need to organize ourselves in a way that's not that complex. So we need, we kind of got rid of all the practices and we organize ourselves around what we call growth units. So the growth units have the whole practices inside. So we have people with all the skills necessary to make that process from go from an idea to product launch very fast, right? Uh, and organizing under one roof, right? One, one leadership and doing that and, and trying to uh, uh, provoke our clients to actually do the same, to organize themselves in a way that we call, you know, with a value stream, like make, make, make workflow instead of uh, silos, function-based, organized by mission-based or, you know, organized by, by look at their clients and look at how they're, you're serving those clients in a, on a product basic. There are many names for that, but the idea is actually you put everybody that's doing the work under one roof, so you kind of shorten up the cycle of decisions uh, and you actually can, you know, crank off the machine at a completely different pace. Brilliant. And so how many people can you get in a growth unit, right? And how many growth units do you have? Yeah, uh, we kind of try to keep growth units, you know, around 300 people, not more than that. Okay. Uh, there's the, there's the, the, the dumb bar number there that says, you know, there, there, there's just a, because, because it's very, uh, it, it's a lot of people with different skills, but we want them, you know, to really be one team and, and really find an identity uh, themselves and really uh, uh, not be, uh, not have a lot of uh, bureaucracy. So to avoid bureaucracy, you have to, to have the people that trust each other, right? Uh, so we have to keep it small. So people have that kind of, you know, human connection and they, they, they know them. That, and if a growth unit grows, uh, too much, you know, start to get into 500, 600 people. We split them and create another, you know, two growth units with uh, another 200, 300 people. 
so people really know each other and have that uh, that uh, uh, informality and, and, and you know avoiding bureaucracy at, at the most. Great. So I want to move on to another big step in your organization. Uh, and in fact, it's a big step in any company's organization. And, you, you know, you decided that you wanted to list the business and it's, you know, many entrepreneurs dream to, to take a business and, and make it go public, um, but not something to be taken lightly at all. Uh, and actually it's quite rare these days. Private equity is very dominant. A lot of people seek a very different route and don't go down that path. Um, I'm intrigued. Where did this idea start from? You know, who was in the room and like who suggested this thing first? You know, be, being a public company, I think for us, it was always like a, uh, a goal because we, 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 we knew that we would need funding uh, over time as we, as we needed to go to the West. And then we have another, another round of private equity coming later on in the business. Uh, and we, we're really passionate about the business and we, when do, we don't, we didn't want to sell to a strategic, right? So we don't want to get out of the game. Um, so, you know, the natural, uh, alternative was, you know, uh, going public because we will, we'll keep control uh, of the company. We'll keep, uh, calling the shots, you know, right or wrong, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll follow our own journey. Um, and, uh, that's the only ambition we have is, you know, just to see where we can, we can, we can get, you know, like, uh, we don't have a, you know, any kind of number that we wanted to meet, to, to, to reach or like the vision is like, okay, we, we want to keep growing and, you know, developing ourselves as leaders. And as long as we're, we're learning stuff and our, our team's learning stuff and they're excited, well, let's see what, where we can get. So we don't want, we don't want to, we don't want out. So the, yeah, keep control and being public look like a natural thing. That was the plan. And how did you know the time was right? How did you know, like, because this was twenty twenty one that you went twenty twenty one just before November twenty one start start going sour. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, but uh, like, yeah, without answering the question, but uh, myself, but you know, what made you feel like right? Okay, you know, we've been talking about this a long time. We want to keep control. Why now? Why did you press the button on that process? Yeah, I think there was a a, a lot of um, respect in 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 uh, in appetite for uh, for digital uh, services back then. Like uh, I know the uh, there was a lot of understanding that 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 was like a, a category of uh, services companies, a tech, technology services companies that were different from the rest of the pack, from traditional IT players, right? So. Uh, the, so the multiples were, were better. Uh, so there was this reputation already and, uh, we felt, Hey, this is, this would be great because, you know, there was already a category created with the digital specialists or digital players, whatever, uh, that we were playing and we're smaller, uh, because we're just going public there. We're smaller than the rest of the, the players there, but we were, you know, growing faster than, than them. Uh, we had a, a, a like a better uh, uh, profitability, so we had our numbers were better. So hey, that's this this would be a great time to to go public. Unfortunately, it lasts like two weeks, and then, and in two weeks things start to go down. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they will be back. They will be back again. Ah, uh, yeah, look, yeah, yes. absolutely, It'll absolutely yeah. be back again. Um, and, and tell me about the process, right? Because 
you know, you, you, you've raised money from private equity before at this point in time, but you know, going public is a big exercise. What, yes. how, how, tell us about the process and tell us how you felt as you're going through it. Yeah, I think for us, the, the more technical part, we felt very prepared. Like uh, we, at this point, because we got that private equity coming in in 2005, right? So we had like a 17 years of, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, audited by, you know, uh, the big five and very, very so there was a, 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 there was a very stable and, and solid kind of financials and compliance uh, foundation there. I think that, that what's, what's different was, you know, the, the road shows and, and talking to, you know, a ton of investors and that, that was uh, super new, was during pandemic. So uh, was everything through Zoom was, was completely different as well. For, 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 even for investors, they were kind of, you know, just trying, they were, they were adapting to that mode and they were liking, by the way, the, the, they, you know, they could do way more meetings in a day, so they, they were they were enjoying it. Uh, so it was was very interesting, like trying to kind of a uh, try to sell the company in a way that a that a, a non someone outside in industry would understand, right? So it was a great uh, exercise of reflection and trying to synthesize, you know, what is it, what what's really. Uh, you know what's really different about the company was was an exercise that was even great for uh, our sales effort. Like, hey, some some things here actually, you know, th- this is actually cool. Like, we should use this in uh, in our sales pitches. <laughs> it's it, it's it's quite an exercise, isn't it, to stop and be forced to think about yourself, and it's it's describing yourself to the eight year old child, right, so in yes. a way that they can understand, and and it's quite an empowering. Uh, thing to go through to allow you to, to to do that yeah it's so interesting you got learnings from it just from the process yeah and, and it's very hard to you to do yourself because you're you don't have like a you're, you're inside right so you, yeah it's it's very difficult so when we kind of uh, get into the process we got a bankers have more than one banker and people looking at the outside and asking interesting questions and make you reflect uh things that you 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 have blind you have blind spots like you it's like you don't see yourself like uh, as uh, in re- relative to to the world sometimes. Right? So mainly for us, we, we just have this one job. Like we're, <laughs> we we didn't even like other jobs to kind of compare this. Like we we kind of created this, and we've been here for almost thirty years, and this is all we know. Yeah. So all all, all your all your uh, you know idiosyncrasies that you find out that are idiosyncrasies and not yeah. something natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> that yeah. everybody does. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and so what what was the date of your listing? November 9th. Yeah. November the 9th, twenty twenty one. You were in New York. Yes. How was the party? Oh man. So it was not not only it was so so nice because uh, was you know was November twenty twenty one, we were locked down for mm. a year. So mm. we for for it was the first time that the senior leadership was meeting in person oh, after wow. more than more than the pandemic started in twenty twenty almost two years. Wow! So it was was oh man it was so so nice. Just kind of a the the the. The atmosphere and the and the and the and the lobby of the of Nice, just kind of a getting like you know this everybody together from all around the world yeah. that we haven't met in almost two years. Oh man, it, that was was sensational. 
Brazilians are renowned for their ability to enjoy themselves as well. So I can imagine. Yeah, I would, I'd I love get, to have been a fly on the wall. And we have, we have, yeah, that, that we know, we know, we we now now, uh, now that we acquired uh, Somo uh, with your help, by the way. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, now we have a, a close second uh, in terms of uh, biggest uh, party people in the world, which is Colombians. Colombians are very, very good party people. Like we, we, we brag, we brag to be the first. Like there's no, no one parties, no one parties like Brazilians. But uh, Colombians are a close second. <laughs> very good. And and that was my next question, right? So what has it allowed you to do? You've you've got to the other side, gone through that work, all that kind of hard work, the road shows. You've, you've had the party and now you're on the, on the other side. How has the world changed for you? Well, the, it allowed us to do a lot of things that, uh, that we think is super cool. Like, uh, you know, like doing acquisitions and, you know, uh, and, and really, you know, uh, join forces with super cool organizations like SOMO, like Intersol, uh, and, and others, uh, and, and, you know, have access uh, to other markets that uh, kind of accelerate the plans for, for markets, uh, either uh, industry segments where we didn't have a lot of footprint or uh, totally new markets where, you know, where we have a very lot, like, like UK, for example, where we did with SOMO, our footprint in UK was very small. Now it's a, it's a, it's a relevant one. Right? So, uh, so we allow, allowed us to do that. Other, you know, I think uh uh, provide uh, competitive uh, liquidity for our uh, people, like with stock options, and to really make that part of a, you know, a, an attractive uh, compensation package uh, to retain people. That was 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 really really um, uh, cool as well. People value a lot. Um, I think those are yeah. Of course, there, there's the the flip side. There's a lot of more scrutiny. You know. Uh, I cannot know the share with you a lot of a lot of data that I would love to hear, <laughs> but I can't because you know that would be you know uh, uh, so th there's a lot of more uh, you know of that, but the balance I think is uh, a way more positive. Yeah, good, well, fantastic. Like I say, it's uh, a many entrepreneurs' dream, and I congratulate you for getting there. That's uh, it's certainly an impressive thing to have done. And look, you know, thank you, Bruno. Uh, one last question: We've been looking back. Uh, for the last uh, last period of time, but I, I want to look forward. Um, you know, what's exciting you about the sort of next twelve months? Man, I think uh, it's it's never been this hard to predict mm. the future, right? So uh, uh, usually we're very good to explain the past, but uh, very difficult to predict the future. And in and, and, and technology, uh, of course, there's. There's this massive, uh, you know, artificial intelligence uh, power that's coming, right? So I think that's the the one, you know, tsunami that we can see when, when you look at the, uh, the, you know, if you're a surfer, you're looking at the horizon. That that's the big one that's coming, and will probably shape, kind of reshape uh, uh, the, the industry. Uh, you know, we're, we're already taking you know, what we call an AI first approach and. You know, you know, to everything we do, uh, still, still in the beginning. To be uh, absolutely transparent, this is a, this is a, we, we, this is just the beginning. We're just seeing a little bit of a what what's going to be, you know, in five to ten years. Uh, and there are other other uh, interesting stuff happening, you know, in more, more niche, but still, uh, you know, the with the, the blockchain, this inter, in, this intermediation, some environments. 
uh, you know, the, the digital assets with crypto. So th those are not kind of a, I guess, uh, pervasive, mm. but uh, those are important uh, things that we're kind of keeping our radar and developing our own uh, muscles around. That's really interesting because I think there's, you know, like you say, that there's perhaps not the same large wave uh, that's coming, but actually you've got to look into just the smaller waves and, and, and work out that, you know, as you said, the niches. So, so kind of where are the different elements and, and, and kind of it, it's more the micro environment as opposed to the, to kind of the macro environment where you can look for growth. Yeah, like metaverse, right? Metaverse will not yeah. reshape the industry, yeah. but yeah. will be important, you know, yeah. for if you're, if you're, you know, an aspirational brand, you can do a lot of cool yeah. stuff in the metaverse yeah, yeah. and yeah. NFTs and monetize that. Uh, but it's not for everybody, right? So, uh, but AI, yes, AI is for everybody, and uh, but and, and it's only in the, in the beginning. Yeah, cool. Well, exciting times ahead, Bruno. Thank you. So great to hear your story. I really appreciate you taking the time. Cool. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Inflection Points is a production of SI Partners. SI Partners is a leading corporate finance boutique for agencies, consultancies, and technology providers at the forefront of the digital economy. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Joe Hine, and you've been listening to Inflection Points.